glad. Aren't you glad? Man, turn to your neighbor and tell him, I am so glad in Jesus. Come on, that's it. Praise God. Praise the name of the Lord. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord once again. And God is doing great things and going to do even greater things because he promised it in his word. And he'll do it through us. For greater things than these shall ye do. I'm taking that as word. Greater things than these shall ye do. And he's not preaching to his apostles. He's preaching to the church. He's got great expectations of you. Mm, hey, Charles Dickens got nothing on the word of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. God is a great God. He's got tremendous potential planted on the inside of us. We just got to find out that it's there. Then we got to do something about it. We got to seek God. I love what Sister Sue said today. To pray. Amen. It's about praying. Three years she's been in that valley. And she's been grieving about the loss of her husband and her son. That's a tremendous loss within one year. And I know she's had her trials and difficulties. And it was difficult to get through. But it wasn't impossible. She experienced exactly what David said. Yea, though I walk through the valley. I mean, you're walking through that deep, dark valley. He said, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God is with us, and God was with her. And see, when she sought God, here's the answer. You got to ask God. You got to seek him. God, now that I'm, I'm in this place, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What's left on the inside of me that I don't see? See, the only Holy Ghost, the only the Holy Ghost, I'm jumping ahead of my message, all things. I'm walking all over to Andrea, I'm telling you. Amen, you know, just, just the Spirit to just kind of get you to, to jump ahead of things, backwards, forward, sideways, you know. But you know, the Bible, it tells us very plainly that, that the deep things of God are hidden on the inside of us. And, and, and we want to know what's happening on the deepest part, on innermost part of the heart of God. We can't tell, but His Spirit can reveal it to us. Amen. We want to know what's inside of you and what God's got in store for you and what potential you got in there that God placed there that he hasn't developed yet. You've got to go to the source. You got to give it. You got to ask the one who gave it to you. And he'll tell you. He'll give you the answer. A couple of days ago, our microwave oven went bad. Well, it still works, but I can't open the door. Good thing, I, good thing I didn't, you know, have anything in there. I was telling my wife, I, a lot of times I reheat my coffee in there, you know. And, and this time I just pushed the button and bang, the spring in that, in that catch release for the, for the button went dead. It just, I just kept pushing, clink, 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 there's no resistance, no spring. And, you know, the door's got these two latches that opens up and out comes the door. <sighs> Alas, nothing helped. I tried to, Brother Larry, I tried to use a knife. And it was still plugged in. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but it was on the front. It was plastic, and I, I wasn't thinking straight. And I called Brother Larry, too, and I said, ah, yeah, I don't, you can't get to it like that, you know. And, uh, and anyway, I, I, I tried to seek help, but you know what? I called Sears. Sister Ann, 
I call Sears. Hallelujah. We got it from Sears, the oven, you know, the microwave with the oven on top of them. Anyway, and for it, they were glad to help me for $249 plus parts. And they'd give me half price if I sign up for a monthly fee of $66 a month for us. So, you know, so man, I can get a new microwave for that. That's what we did. Hallelujah. But the old one's still sitting there waiting. Hallelujah. But, but here's the point. I didn't check with another microwave. I didn't, you know, when, when that button went bad, Brother Drake, I didn't consult with a bunch of other microwaves and ask them, what do I do? See, you, when you, you got, you've got a, a, an existential crisis on your hands, you don't go to other people, other creative aspects of God, all other creation, to find out what God wants you to do. You go to the source. You go to the one who gave it to you. You go to the impotent, impotent, the um, omnipotent, the omnipotent, everywhere potent, everywhere potent, powerful God puts that potential from the omnipotent, the potential part on the inside of you. That's hidden right in here. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. I said, we need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is what helps you to pray and then dig up those things deep down under and bring it up to the top so you can fulfill his will. So you could fulfill your purpose. That was my message this morning. Understanding and pursuing your purpose. Maybe we'll spend a few minutes down. Maybe we'll give the young people a few minutes to to discuss the subject today and God's provision and so on. Maybe I'll entertain some of these thoughts with you and plant it deeper. Please stay with me. Hallelujah. Young people, you're dismissed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You already got my message. I'm just going to give you some scriptures to go along with it. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my son, like I always do. <laughs> you may be seated for a moment. And uh, as you know, he was in the law enforcement for quite a while. And, and he's much into the Lord and the Word of God and Bible. And we were talking different subjects. And he mentioned this article uh, and this research, actually, this research about, uh, about this, this scientist, that uh, behavioral scientist and psychologist, that did research using rats, where they put them in, in different cages, they call them rat park. And, uh, and uh, so I was so intrigued by that because it, it, it had everything, to, a lot to do with what I'm talking about today. And, and I said, who, wrote, who did that? Who wrote? He said, you know, I don't know, just Google it. Now, you'll find I did. And I got the article too, I mean, I got the guy, Dr. Bruce Alexander, and uh, they did this research in, uh, in the 60s and 70s, believe it or not. And, uh, and I found it to be so relevant for today. It was so relevant for our day, for a lot of folks in our generation, our time. And th this article is, What Does Rat Park Teach Us About Addiction? Written by Lloyd Setterer, MD, and it's about... Dr. Bruce Alexander, 
says we owe to American psychologist Dr. Bruce Alexander the understanding that addiction is far more than any drug. That a person or animal in his studies is an active ingredient in their interaction with a drug. To stand a chance uh, beating the opioid and other drug epidemics, other addictions we have, we will be far better equipped if we follow his lead. His experiments in the 1970s have come to be called the rat park. Researchers had already proved that when rats were placed in a cage all alone and with no other community of rats and offered two water bottles, one filled with water and the other with heroin or cocaine, the rats would repetitively drink from the drug-laced bottles until they all overdosed and died like pigeons pressing a pleasure lover. They were relentless until their bodies and brains were overcome and they died. But Alexander wondered if, if this drug, uh, it, 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 it might be just a drug itself or is it is it, it, it's something related to the setting that they lived in. So is it just because the drug is so habit-forming and addictive, or is there something in their surroundings, in their settings, in, in the community, in the society, in the place where they live? It's where, the, where others are free to roam and to play and to socialize, he said. And if they were given the same access to these two types of drug-laced bottles, what would they do? And when in, in inhabiting, it says, a rat park, they remarkably preferred the plain water, even when they did imbib or take drinks from that drug-filled bottle. They did so intermittently, not obsessively, and never overdosed. A social community beat the power of drugs, at least with rats. But there's a lot to be said for human beings as well. Amen. Praise God. A social community beat the power. Of, has anybody heard of the church of the living God? Has anybody heard of the body of Christ? Has anybody heard the fact that when you get the Holy Ghost with one spirit, are you baptized into one body? The problem comes when you get separated and you get isolated. And you may not even be isolated physically, but you get isolated in your mind and you feel like you're in a cage. So, they go through this experiment and, and what they did and the questions that they asked. And so, so, he was also looking at this social aspect more than ever before and then he begins to talk to these psychologists and counselors and say, you know, we need to focus more on the social setting. We need to focus more on how we relate to one another and ask questions of the people who we counsel. Certain things like, 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 like who, do you, who do you care about in your life? Who cares about you? When was the last time that you spent time with people who are good to you instead of those who hurt you and foster your drug habit? These questions may lead to others such as, 
Who can you call or spend time with in the next couple of days? What gives you pause in calling or making the kind of human contact needed to enable recovery? What do you imagine these people would think and feel if you did make contact with them? How might that encounter go where it was? Let's see. How might that encounter go where it was? Not about asking for help or money, but instead simply and most importantly, it's about reigniting their friendship. So in other words, when you make contact and it's asking of the person being counseled, Amen. He says, if, if, if you would contact somebody, would you be contacting them, contacting them to get help from, for money and just to feed your habit? Or are you really taking time to reach out relationally and see if you could have a friend there? See if you could connect with them on a human level that can help you and encourage you. He says, it's reigniting friendship their attachment to you if you had a relationship with them before, and their wish for your life to go well. Their interest, talking about the person called, is one way to achieve the dignity, and here's the word that caught my eye, purpose. Purpose, meaning, and life of contribution that's so critical to the hand work, the hard work of recovery. It's kind of hard. It's such, if you can see this, man, this is Probably a, a size eight font, and I couldn't get any bigger. Hallelujah. So it talks about the science of medicine and, of course, the, uh, the, the exceptional value that, that it, it, it does with respect to checking on symptoms, diagnoses, and, and coming up with plans. But he closes this article by saying, Mother Teresa, not someone that, that's often quoted in medical journals, said, quote, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family, unquote. And then he says, I think the Beatles said the same thing, and that's not really something that we go quote anyhow, but, but you know, uh, worldly people can make true statements. Yeah. Think about Nebuchadnezzar and many others. Hallelujah. Weren't godly, weren't God, but called by God. God showed him some things, and he revealed it. It's recorded in the Bible. So he says, the Beatles said the same thing, and I'm continuing to read. When we see people and families who are keeping their emotional heads above the often rolling waters of everyday life, who are not compulsively imbibing on drug-laced concoctions or pathologically gambling or playing video games and the like, And we will see that they lead their lives in the light of relationships in human parks. And not alone. Not alone. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, interestingly, uh, you know, these, whenever this this doctor did this experience, he uh, he set up two different kinds of, of cages. One where they have nothing to do. They're totally cut off from other uh, rat uh, friends, so to speak. Amen. And, uh, and they have uh, nothing to do versus the rat parks where you have many other rats having a social life and they're, uh, they're engaged in activities that rats usually do. 
But they put it in their cans and, and places to hide in. They put wheels to run around like gerbils and, and different things. And, and, and then they put those two different kind of bottles on there. One, the plain water. Another one, the drug-laced water. And it's interesting, again, that those rats who are active and have a, a very vibrant social life, and they're active in, in, in their, their surroundings, now and then they may take that drug, like when they have a headache or something. I'm just supposing. It's intermittent, but they never overdose, and they never get high. They don't keep going back in there to feed their habit, whereas the other rats who are isolated have nothing to do, and they don't have anything meaningful and purposeful in their lives are the ones that keep going back to this drug and keep drinking it and drinking it and drinking it until their body just can't handle more. They just self-destruct and die. And so many people in this world today fall into that category. And I think a lot of it is because they're disconnected and because they really don't have a real purpose in life. And that's really why I really feel that this subject today is so important and I wanted to address it from the Word of God. But in order to understand this, to understand our purpose, we have to go back to the beginning and understand His. Because the church, through God, God has the answer. God has an answer to your isolation, your disconnectedness. God has an answer to your meaning and your purpose of life. He's got all the answers. He's the source. And we've got to go back to the source, not to society per se. But God provided both that we can be free of those things. Because even these rats were smart enough to know that when they're in the society and they have all their other needs met, they don't need that drug stuff. Stand with me, if you will. Thank you for your patience. Time is running out. I'm, I'm racing the clock. As soon as we're done, we're going to have to maybe get a bite to eat with Theodora. We've got to get her to the airport by 1.45 this afternoon. So fear not, little flock. Amen. You shall, if, if you shall be patient, you shall eat of the good of the land. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm reading to you, first of all, from Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24, and then from Ephesians 1, 9 through 12. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. Brother Walt, an exceptional pleasure to have you here. Singular honor to see you. Sister Judy, you too, and Theodore, my, we're going to miss you. I'm not going to see you anymore in the front here. Praise God. It's been such a joy to have her with us, and uh, she's come to see America, and uh, Amen. Now she's going back. I just don't know how she did it by herself. I mean, she went to D.C., to New York, to L.A., to San Diego, and even St. Louis. Hallelujah. Praise God. My, my, my. Very capable. Praise God. But God's got his hand on you, and you know that. Amen. And God's got great plans for her life, as he does for each and every one of you. Just because you have spent some time on this earth and just because you're 74 years old, <laughs> hallelujah, or because you're 88. Sister Switzer, 88 Friday, amen. Thank you for sending cards and letters, amen. Praise God. How you, you know, five of those birthday cards arrived just on Friday, and I didn't get to it this Saturday, but anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. You, you had cards from all over, Amen. Praise God. We love Sister Switzer. 
We love you. Hallelujah. All right, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24. Are you there yet? The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely I have fought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. As I have purposed, so it shall stand. Coming to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. Paul, the apostle, writing to us, the church, talking about God, what he accomplished in Christ Jesus for us. And he says, and he also, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Do you know what the will of God is for you? Hopefully you do. I hope you never lose sight of it. When you get the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost changes your direction. Amen. Amen. He, he gives you all kinds of things. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, the right time, future on generations, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Everybody say in him. In whom, everybody say in him. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we, you ready for this? Here's the big picture, the big purpose, that we should be to the praise of his glory. You who first trusted in Christ. That's a nutshell what I'm speaking about tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the marvelous move of your spirit. God, without you, we can't do anything. Lord, we're just flesh and bones. We're just human bodies walking around aimlessly without a goal and just floating in the current and the tides of life. But Lord, you have given us purpose and direction. And we need you, Lord, because we can't do this thing by ourselves. We're totally, wholly, solely relying upon you. And this day, oh God, we look to you. Help this, this, this deficient preacher. Help, oh Lord God, this lips of clay. And Lord, help this mind that is so limited compared to all that you are. God, help me to articulate your deep thoughts, oh Lord, and to stick to your leading. That are my own instincts, my own thinking. Bless your people today, Lord, in Jesus' name I ask. Let the church say amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing so long. You may be seated. Hallelujah. God is so good. See, in order for us to understand our purpose, we have to understand his original intent. Original intent. In fact, that is one of the biggest sticking points and biggest arguments in legal circles in American political ideology today when it comes to the Constitution. That those who believe in a strict construction 
and strictly adhering to the letter of the law, of, of the law which is also looking at original intent. What was the intent of the founding fathers when they wrote this law, when they wrote this constitution? Of course, when you look at the Federalist Papers, they are uh, giving us insight, a record of the founding fathers as they were writing the Declaration, not the Declaration, but the Constitution of the United States, commenting on why they did what they did. And that's important because original intent makes a difference in how we interpret the Constitution. And the same way when you look at the Word of God or where you try to interpret your life of, of how, where you came from and, and what is the meaning of your life and what is your purpose, you have got to go back to the source and you have got to go back to God's original intent. And when you do that, you'll have incredible insight, incredible vision into what God planned or what he is doing and what he wants to do with you. And, and he would enable you to see your particular role in this grand design and this grand picture. Now, when you look at it, you may not believe it, you may not like it, but the fact remains that it doesn't really rest upon you. God's plan and purpose is not with you, per se. It's all in him. It's what he designed what he designed for himself. And yes, he's got you in mind, absolutely. But you see, what I'm trying to say is that how you choose, whether you choose to be a part of his plan or not, has great consequences. But his plan that he set forth is going to be fulfilled. It's going to happen. It's going to be. And the question is whether or not you will choose to be a part of it. It's not what Congress does. It's not who gets elected in office. It doesn't re de depend upon what happens to, uh, to the world's population when the Antichrist comes and all that. Oh, no, God knows about all that. He knew that from the beginning. But he's got his plans and he's got his purposes and, and he's got it all mapped out. And it's just up to us whether we want to be a part of it and be a part of the side that wins. Because any other side loses. Doesn't matter what cut or stripe, uh, culturally or racially or politically that you belong to. It's your choice of whomsoever will that determine whether you'll be on the winning or the losing side. Because this is a spiritual question. It's the most important question. And as we look around the world today, I think we can agree that there indeed is a crisis of identity and, and purpose. Too many of our young people, even the older crowd, wander around, going through life like gerbils on a wheel, aimlessly just running in circles. Yes, doing meaningful, necessary things and getting up and going to work and, and raising a family and, and trying to eke out a living and build the best that they can for themselves. Amen. But, but, but that's all they see, and they never take time out to search out for something greater and something deeper perhaps God would have in store for them. And without true purpose, that true purpose that comes from God, we are just wasting our time away. Because the purpose of something can only be found in the mind of the maker, our maker. Praise God. Hallelujah. But again, in order for you and I to understand our purpose, we got to go back to his purpose. We have to see his purpose 
to understand our purpose. And I have to go back a little bit to creation to do that. Because you see everything in God's creation. Everything. Everybody say everything. Everything, everything in God's creation is designed for a purpose, with a purpose. His purpose. Revelation 4.11 says, All things were created for his pleasure. Let me quote what it says. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. One of the first things you and I got to understand that everything that's visible and invisible was created by God. And God was here a long time before he ever created it. If we ought to understand our, the big picture, we've got to go back and start with God. Before God made anything, before God created things, there was only God. And imagine before there was a universe, before there was a solar system, before there was a sun, before there was a moon that was full in the sky last night, amen. Before there were planets, uh, before there was anything, there was nothing but God. Picture that. God in a spirit, all himself. There's no universe, no stars, no galaxies. Nothing, not you, not I, not even angels, not even heaven. Heaven was, came later in creation. Hallelujah. And angelic beings, that came later. There was, and I don't know how long, because we don't have any sense of measurement of time prior to creation. If, you gotta, if you want to get a semblance of, of eternity, just, just imagine what it would be like to, to, to get to the edge of the universe you know, it's, it's the farthest point that we can see galaxies and billions of stars. Let's, let, let's say we get, you know, let's say this is the universe right here in the pulpit. Amen. All the billions and billions of stars and planets and solar system, all that. And all of a sudden we get to the edge of it. And there's no more stars, no more galaxies. Then the question is, what's beyond that? Nothing? Where does it end? How far does it go? And what happens if, when it's, you know, you see what I'm getting at? In this life, we're so busy with our eyes down on the ground that we stop, we don't take time to stop and ponder the deep things and, and understand that there's got to be a God. One scientist has said it right. I heard the quote the other day. He said, uh, you know, uh, there can be only two things possible, that there's a God or there isn't. And the consequences of each is frightening. That if there is a God, well, then he's got a planned purpose and we're going to stand before him and he's greater than we are. He orchestrated it all and we have, you know, we, we, we're going to have to give an account of all that we did. But if there is no God, then we're here on this singular planet and no other place has life, no other place any, has any kind of, of, of a semblance of, of life like we have it here on the earth. Oceans, not just a drop of water they're trying to seep or on Mars or the moon or whatever, not the water crystals. We've got oceans of it under the ground. We got trees and vegetation and rivers and mountains and all that stuff creeping to all kinds of living life teeming upon the earth. 
and nothing on other planets. And here we are, if there's no God, here we are on earth spinning 50, I don't know how, I don't know how fast we spin on Acts. All I know is that the earth is going about 56,000 miles an hour in its orbit around the sun. And if there's no God, there's nobody in charge. You talk about frightening. Hmm? See, we don't see it, we don't feel it because God made it so pleasant for us. I mean, we got gravity, we got, you know, we got weather, forget climate, weather, hallelujah, to contend with. And we're just so busy going through our lives, we never stop to think that, they, man, I'm going 56,000 miles an hour on this, on this ride. Hey, Disney's got nothing on God, I'm telling you that right now. And it keeps going for thousands of years. And here we are. I'll submit that, that the God option is a whole lot better. I feel a whole lot better with that option. Knowing that he's in charge. And I don't have to be. And I don't care what scientists say, they are not in charge either. They're in a business of trying to discover the deep things of God, and you can't do it without the Holy Ghost. I wish some of those scientists would just get baptized in Jesus' name, saturated in the Spirit of Almighty God, and sanctified their brains to begin to see reality, reality as God reveals it to us. You know, before everything was created, again, there's God standing on top of nothing. <laughs> looks out and sees nothing. And before there was anything, there was God. And then in a split second time, we see that God speaks. And John 1 and 1 says it this way, in verse, all through verse 4. In the beginning was the word. Now that word, Greek, logos, it's not only thought, it's also divine thought. That's not only just divine thought and thought, it's also the expression of thought. That's why it uses the English word word because words originate here in the mind and it goes through a process from the mind to the vocal cords and to the mouth until you speak it. It is a process. And understand very early on, everything that God does, God does through a process. And he goes through a process of, of creating the world. Genesis, I'm assuming, John 1 and 1 said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Hallelujah. He quotes Genesis 1 and 1, basically. Genesis 1 and 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in just one split second and one swift movement, God's create three things at the same time. One, in the beginning, he, he created time. He created the heaven the universe, and three and the earth, matter. All those three things, all those three components of the physical world that is so important when you do physical science and physics. And John 1 and 1, he, he takes up the mantle. In the beginning, there was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen? Because the Word of God is God himself. Your words are not a separate person apart from you. It is a part of you. It's who you are. And God has thoughts and he has words that he can speak. And the word that he speaks is not some other person of a second person of a trinity or something like that or what others would say in Christendom. It's not. It is the same self-same God speaking. It's 
nothing into existence. Hallelujah. Praise God. So he says, in the same, the same was in the beginning with God. In other words, just God and his thoughts. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, everybody say in him, was life, and the life was the light of man. Hallelujah. Remember when we read Ephesians 1, and we ended up being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should give the praise of his glory. Because all of those things are in Christ. All those things are found and were found, had its root in God. Hallelujah. In whom, in whom, in whom. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. See, Revelation 4.11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. They were created. Visible, invisible, natural, spiritual, all of it came from God. Hebrews 11.3 tells us through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God to the to things so that things that are seen, that are visible, are not made of things which do appear. That the solar system, the earth, and everything in the universe around us was not made from pre-existent matter. Hallelujah. It never existed before. It came from an invisible realm. It really came deep from within God. Because in the beginning was nothing but God. You understand God's omnipotence, the potential. God has tremendous potential to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's the God that you and I serve. God created everything that we see out of nothing. And he did it for his pleasure. He did it for his glory. And it's only by faith that we understand that. Science books can't address this. How can they? How could they explain it? Something from nothing. That's divine work. That's divine creativity. It has nothing to do with the physical. And so then we look at the seven days of creation. You know, God created heaven and earth in seven days. And on the seventh day, he rested and he ceased from creating. Amen. He spoke everything into, into existence. And, uh, and again, he went through a process from the mind to the mouth, even as we do today. And we see that God follows a day-by-day agenda, agenda through the seven days. And then creates the earth and makes it suitable for man to live. And that really excites me. You look at the universe, I love astronomy and I love space travel and I love seeing these new pictures coming back from the moon and from Mars and from other planets and only shows and proves one thing. Other planets, other places are totally barren. Nothing but rocks, sand, no rivers, no water, no oceans, no trees, nothing. It shows how much God's focus is on this place, this world that he created for us. This is special. Look at what Isaiah says in chapter 45, verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created not in vain, not for nothing, not as a happenstance, not as an accident. And we say, oops, (laughs) 
That's not what he did. Oh, no, he purposed it. He planned it. Hallelujah. And it says, so that things, oh, man, hallelujah. Not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there's none else. He formed the earth to be inhabited. When he created the earth, he already created with everything that you and I would need as human beings to survive and to live and to thrive. God did that with purpose and with intent and having you in mind and me and other creatures he created so we can live on this earth. It's not humans that made it inhabitable. It weren't the animals that made this place inhabitable. It was God that prepared it because he's the one who created us and he knew what our natural bodies need. The oxygen and the food and the water, all of those things he created so we can inhabit, live on here. And then God goes to create man, Genesis 1, 26, 28. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. That's rule and authority over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. Ooh, that's powerful. And the omnipotent God empowering mankind with great potential from this omnipotence. So God created man in his own image. The image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air or every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Hallelujah. And notice when God created man, he did not create one million people. He created one man. One sea, and from that one man came one woman. The first one did, Eve. And from those two seeds, God populated the earth. What we fail to understand and realize sometimes, though, is the tremendous amount of potential that God puts in us as individuals. Do you understand that if it's just two of us were Adam and Eve, male and female, God could do the same thing all over again? If he wanted to, he won't. We already know his plan. That's already beyond us. But what it shows and illustrates to you and I is the incredible potential in the things that God creates. When he created mankind, he created incredible potential inside of us to do great things for God. I don't know if Adam and Eve realized how many millions of people would come forth from their children, from their loins. Through the process of time. Again, everything goes through a process. Amen. But from one man came masses of people. And the reality of that potential that God plants in us, that same kind of potential. And he gave that to you and me when he breathed, first of all, the breath of life into us. When you came out of your mother's womb, you were born. You were born with incredible potential and giftings that God placed on the inside of us. Hallelujah. God endowed all living creatures with incredible potential on the inside of them. You know, when, when, when you look at an acorn, how many ever seen an acorn? From Oak, hallelujah, you did. When I was a kid in Hungary, there were some, and we had some oak trees, like, and we found oaks, and 
as kids, what we used to do is make pipes from those things. How many of you ever made pipes from those acorn things? Anybody? Am I the only weird kid around here? Man. <laughs> Must be a cultural thing. Must be something in Hungary. You, know, you, you can take those acorns. You can take that cap off of them, you know, pull the acorn off the top, and you'd have nothing but the little hat-like thing with a bead on the bottom, you know. And you could, you could bore a little hole through the side. You could put a piece of stick through there. You could hold it up. You'd have a pipe. Huh? Okay. Now, you know, that was B.C., before Christ. Amen. I, but, you know, I was just a little kid. And you know what Proverbs says? Foolishness, Brother Brian, foolishness is bound up on the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from it. So here I am, 70 years later almost, hallelujah, and uh, I think God has corrected me from that. I've never picked up a pipe. <laughs> hey, man, well, I did in the, in the BC again still for a little while, but it was just for play, I guess, reminiscing from my childhood days. Acorn. But you look at an acorn, you know, you picked up it in your hand, and what do you think about? You think about a dry piece of something, you know, that is not very appealing, but you know, if you plant that acorn, you get a tree. And from that tree, you get all kinds of acorns, and they fall on the ground, and then you have a forest. See what I'm getting at? You got one acorn, you got a tree, you got a forest. You look at one fish, and we say, oh, my, what a wonderful fish. I think I'll take it home and cook it, Brother Jeff. You ever go fishing? Oh, yeah, hallelujah. I knew I you know, saw fishermen in you, and you're a fisher of men, too. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But you see, whether, whether it's, it's an acorn, whether it's a fish, you know, we see it as just a singular item, but... Inside of that fish are hundreds, if not thousands, of eggs. And this is why we never run out of fish at Red Lobster. Thank God, hallelujah, amen. Because these fish are reproducing so fast in the sea, amen, you, you don't even know that they're doing it. They're laying eggs all over the place, and the more fish, and you're, they're catching them in the nets, the fishermen are, and yet they're reproducing so fast, we still got fish to eat every week, hallelujah. But you see, you may all look at an acorn, but there's a potential for, of a force. You've got to have the spiritual vision of the potential and purpose. So you may look at a fish, but there's a school that's out of there. You can have a bird, and that from one bird, you can create a flock. You can have one sheep, and from that, you can create, a, again, a flock, a herd, cows. And man, oh, hallelujah, man, it's the same way. That's how God populated the earth. You can take a little boy. There's that little Daniel running around. Amen. He's a sweet little boy. And we got other girls. Oh, sweet girls. Oh, my goodness. They're running around. And those, 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 you know, that little boy's going to grow into a man if the Lord tarries, Brother Brian. Imagine the amount of potential in that child. Some people look at their children and do not realize the potential that they have in there, that God put in there. A little girl running around right now with dolls and just, you know, making noise, and you think it's so hard to take care of. Listen, God put incredible potential in her to be a woman, to be a woman of God. And you don't know how they're going to change the world. Every child is a great pot, a potential person to change the entire world around them. You don't know if they're going to be an Elon Musk or a Steve Jobs. Hallelujah. You don't know what they're going to develop. They don't, they don't, they don't, you can't see the talent inside that God. And the problem is, you may not even see your potential. 
what God put inside of you. And I don't know how far you have come in this life yet on this ball of mud and how much you have lived, what kind of mistakes you made in the past or, 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 or what you did or didn't do. But, but I can guarantee that if, if you get the Holy Ghost and you ask God, like Sister Sue, you ask God, you pray, he can show you what you can do, what you have capability and power to do with him. Too often, you see, we look on the outside and never consider the things on the inside, the hidden potential. But this is how God began to fulfill his purpose and vision, is to create and populate the whole earth so that in the process of time, Ephesians 1, God brings everything together, all his creatures in heaven, all creatures in earth, to bring together in one to populate heaven, to glorify Why is the earth the way it is? Well, God created it, but then, you know, there's a devil. He made a mess of it. See, God always creates good things, and a devil comes along, and he ruins it and spits in the soup and makes it distasteful. You know what I mean? That's a Hungarian tra expression translated right into English. Imagine, so we make a soup, and, you know, it all looks so good if somebody comes around and says, dare I? Anyway. It's before lunchtime. I better pass on that one. I got a real nice sound I can produce. I think. One of my innate <laughs> gifts <laughs> that I'm not proud of. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Thank God my wife is sitting there. She always keeps me in line. Now, when I hit that line, she says, Georgie, no, no, no. Okay, you know. But in the process of time, God's got an end time, an end line, a finish line. And it's all about gathering as many people out of this earth who are willing and yielded to bring to heaven with him to establish a loving relationship with them throughout eternity. And you can only really grasp it. Once you're born again, when, when you get spiritual eyes and spiritual ears and, and God is residing in you and he draws forth, he brings forth the deep things, the deep things of the spirit. Now, if you think about it, this, this one seed process, God used the same thing to create the church, didn't he? He had one body, Jesus, amen, who died on Calvary for you and I. And from his side came blood and water. And through that blood and water, hallelujah, we can find repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and infilling of the Spirit. And through that new birth process, through that sacrifice, or should we say a birth from death of one man, you and I can have newness of life. And we can be a part of his church. It started with one man on Calvary. But look at where the church is today, 2,000 years later, not just all those that lived up to this point, amen, in previous generations, but think about our time right now where millions are filled with the Spirit. Millions are gathered in, and the bigger the revival is still coming. It's still, it's, it's still gaining steam. It's getting bigger, folks, and this was God's purpose, is to create a great deal of people so we can populate heaven with them throughout eternity. Listen, this life down here below is so meager. It is totally incomparable to the one that we're going to get to when we get on the other side. I want to go there. 
I know my purpose. I know why God created me. And I know what I got to do to get there. Hallelujah. Bottom line, I'll get to this quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm finally, brethren, hallelujah, I'm trying to get there. God knows why you were born. A lot of people ask that question, why, what am I doing here? Why was I born? In fact, some people say it with, with great distress. I never asked to be born. Why am I here? You know how many people out there in the world that ask that question? And the answer to that is when you come to church, you were born because God had plans for you. Hallelujah. God had plans for you in his kingdom. Just as Adam and Eve were not made, created by mistake. You're not a mistake. If you were conceived in the womb, and I don't care about the circumstances, I don't care if you were, you were born in a marriage or out of a marriage, God allowed conception to take place uh, and life came into you and he watched you while you were in a womb and you were born and when you were born, you got the breath of life because God had a plan for you. God saw you not as a mistake, but something that he wants you to be a part of in his kingdom on purpose. Praise God. I want you to look at Psalm 139 with me real quick. Psalm 139, verse 13. This King David writing about his birth, but really is by the inspiration of Spirit telling you and I what goes on in our womb and how we are when we were in our mother's womb. Hallelujah. Psalm 139, verse 13. And I'm reading the New Living Translation. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together. It's figuratively, not literally. God's not there knitting. It's just, just the process of knitting me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Hallelujah. But listen, how King David shows how important we were. Look at verse 16. Now you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. You know that God's got a book on you? And he knows exactly what happens in every chapter. And God knows what happens at the end of your life because he knows ahead of time what you're going to choose. Yes or no. I'm going to be with him or someplace else. But despite of that, through the span of your life, you're going to have every chance possible to make the right decisions, to make the right choices, to be part of him, to be a part of his church and what he has purpose, what he has designed. All you and I have to do is just yield to it. And walk in it. You see that your life is not an accident? See how important you are? That's what verse 16 is all about. There's a book on you. Hallelujah. Psalms 139, 17 and 18. I said, How precious are your thoughts about. Notice it says in, in one, the original translation, uh, it's innumerable, it says vast. The thoughts of me, about me from you is vast. I can't even count them. You know how much God thinks about you? Innumerably. How can God do that with so many billion people? Because he's God. 
How big is your God? If you can't see how big God is, your God is very small, then your faith is very little too. You've got to get a bigger picture of God to understand who you are and who we are in God. And that's part of the job of us being in church. You read time and again, how many times Paul prays in Ephesians and in Colossians and, and prays for the church. I pray that your understanding of the mysteries and the deep things of God, you would know the depth and the height and the width and all the love of God. There's so much more to God that you have not seen or not, not understood yet because you haven't taken the time with him to let the spirit search on the inside the deep things of God. I'm here to tell you, I think I've already declared to you plain and simple, that you and I were born to glorify his name, glorifying God. And you know what glorifying is? It's simply manifesting and revealing his nature. Manifesting and revealing his nature. Hallelujah. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, I will say to the north, give up to the south, keep my back, bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. For everyone that is called by my name, I have created for him from I have created him for my glory. Hear this again. Isaiah 43, 6, verse 7. For everyone that is called by my name, I have created him for my glory. You know why you're born? To bring glory to God. Not your glory, not your plans. Not your future in sense. His glory. His purpose. Now, if you could just get the vision of that align yours with his, you will fulfill your purpose. But if you don't, you will never fulfill your purpose. You may fulfill some of your own purposes and have limited success. And in, in one sense, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But you're missing the big picture. You're missing the greatest and settle for the less. Is that, is that plain? Can you stand with me, if you will? You are meant to glorify his name. Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all the people. See, God wants to be glorified. He's going to have his name glorified. His earth, his, this earth is going to fill, be filled with his glory. Numbers 14.21, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, what? No, you're not. Your body, everybody say your body, body. is a temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, which ye have of God. Ye are not your own. If you're born again of the water and the spirit and you have made a, a commitment and a consecration to God, you and I are not our own. He purchased us with his blood, which wasn't just any ordinary human blood. It was precious blood. It was one of a kind. Because it broke the chain of the human link between mother and father, sinful parents. His father was holy. The father of that flesh, the spirit of God birthed a human body that he could dwell in. With sinless blood that he could shed on the cross for your salvation and mine. It was singularly the most expensive blood that anybody could have. You talk about a blood transfusion. But you can have it. When you repent of your sins, when you baptize in Jesus' name, whoosh, that blood is applied to you. The most expensive blood can wash away your sins, just like Sister Sue came and talked about. Oh, I love that illustration. That was great, Sister Sue. But the blood of Jesus, we sang about, it's applied to you and cleanses you. 
And then he fills you with the Spirit. Hallelujah. That you can glorify God in your body. Then you can manifest the fruit of the Spirit. You can avoid sinful things, sinful habits, things that keep us out of the kingdom of God. You know, prostitution, adultery, idolatry, homosexuality, just the word. Hallelujah. Thievery, greed, drunkardness, abusers and swindlers. New, New Living Translation. But the Bible says, you've been, but you've been washed. Your sins have been washed away. You've been set apart for God. You have been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God have done for you. To go out and fulfill the will of God because He created you for His glory. And I close with this last scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12. Paul's writing to the church. He's writing to you. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for them that love him. But, everybody say but. Say, but God. How many times do we see that? But God. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. No, not in the natural. No, we, have, we haven't seen, but, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. Do you see why it's important to live in the spirit, walk in the spirit, be filled with the spirit if you don't have the spirit? You got to get a hold of that Holy Ghost. Amen. Now let him get a hold of you. The spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Yeah, you know the stuff that's inside you, your spirit, your emotions, what you feel, what your plans are. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. You want to know the things of God? You got to get the Holy Ghost inside of you. And the Holy Ghost will show you the deep things of God. That's why we got to pray. That's what Jesus did. Amen. You go through the life of Jesus, John, hallelujah, 5, 6, 7, he's talking about, I'm, he's praying to the Father, what, the humanity praying to the Spirit. What do you want to do? What, what's the next step? Who do I, you want me to pray for? Who do I want to heal? Amen. And Jesus follows that leading, and we got to do the same thing. So what man knoweth the things of God? No, only the Spirit. The things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, thank God, but the spirit which is of God. See, everything is in him and of him because he's our source. Why did we receive it? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You got the Holy Ghost and you didn't even know what you got a hold of. All you thought was, man, I got the Holy Ghost to be resurrected with a trumpet sound. I got the Holy Ghost so, you know, that I can go to heaven. I can be ready. Amen. Rapture ready. But it's so much more because he wanted to reveal to you and I his plans for us, the, pot the potential that he's planted inside of us. To understand that through that spirit, God brings forth those things that he planned for you. But he's not going to force it on you. I mentioned before, God doesn't give force anything on somebody that they don't want some. 
But I'll tell you this, you will never be fulfilled. You will never come to a place of fulfillment or purpose until you align yourself with the purpose of God. That was that your life would glorify Him. Praise God. We would just worship the Lord. Just lift your hands right where you are right now. Come on, just praise Him. Magnify Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Maybe you don't see clearly the purpose of your birth. Maybe there's somebody in here that is struggling with their purpose. And yeah, you got the Holy Ghost, but you you walked a while on this and, and you're unclear still about what the purpose of the rest of your life is. I think it's a good time to ask God. As the praise team begins to sing, I'm going to open up this altar. If you need the Holy Ghost today, you can have the Holy Ghost right now. It's the will of God. If you're searching for the deep things of God, come to the altar. Let's spend some time and pray, and let's search our hearts. Allow God to speak to us. We got time. We got time. Come on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come on. Spend some time in prayer. Seek the Lord, would you? In Jesus' name. He's saying, 